Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Backline. I'm your host, Darren Colson, and I'm joined, as always, by your co-host, AP Cronier. AP, how are you doing, my man? Yeah, so well, thanks, Darren. How are you getting on? I'm good. I'm good. You know, I haven't been the best this, this last week, and, uh, you know, I've been under the weather, as they say, with, a, with laryngitis, but I'm recovering well, and I'm super excited to jump back on another episode with you. And talking of the weather, you know, it's been it's a gorgeous day. So I don't know why we're stuck inside, but you know, we have a lot of rugby to talk. And uh yeah, how's things that side then? Yeah, no, also all right. I mean, um, yeah, it's been been about two weeks since we last spoke, and you know, yeah, as with everything, the unpredictability of the UK, and just as you touched upon the weather, I mean, one week ago, 22 degrees today, this morning was snowing outside where I am in London. So crazy it's all over the show but yeah let's uh, let's get stuck into the rugby because we do have quite a lot to get through this week we do and i mean let's uh let's sort of round up the, the past week uh, and the, the current weekend then um i thought we'd start with a, a couple of uh, signings that i've seen um hanno dirksen who plays for the ospreys is going over to america and he joins nola gold uh you know, he's had a pretty good season with the Ospreys. He's scored 40 tries and over 150 appearances. And, you know, he's, he's no joke. He's, he's joining a really decent on-form NOLA team. You know, they've got the likes of Carl Meyer, JP Duplessis, you know, Damien Stevens, And they're looking like one of the favorites for the tournament, you know. Um, do you know much about Hanno Dirksen? I have to confess, I've I've not followed him followed him that closely. But what I can say is, you know, anybody who plays over 150 times for a professional club side, uh, and particularly in the northern hemisphere, and particularly as a front, you know, in in the in the in the forwards, you know, you're gonna you know you're gonna be worth your salt. Um, so he goes over to to Nola, and as you say, they they are have looked one of the form teams, I guess, between them and um, DC, they're looking good as well. So yeah, no, I'm sure he'll be a very good addition to 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 their side, bring a little bit of grunt. You know, we spoke last time um, about the Seattle Seawolves, who everybody thought was just going to walk away again. And I think we both predicted that this wasn't going to be the case this season. And I'm, I'm quite impressed that we've managed to... It's, it's early days. I mean, don't get me wrong, but, <laughs> you know, um, a lot of the sides are stepping up and they're doing a fantastic job. And it's, it's great to see. So I wish Hano, you know, all the best. And... Let's see how he gets on next season. The second one here, we've got uh, Jace. I mean, this is a big one. I mean, no pun intended. He's a big guy. But uh, <laughs> Jason Jenkins is joining Munster from Japan. Now, I'm going to hand over to you on this one. And could you please tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so this is, this is as you say, like the big one. It's a bit more controversial as well. Um, there's a bit of a backstory to this one. So effectively, it was announced... Um, I actually tweeted it out earlier because I heard some whispers from certain sources that he was going over. And then a week later, it was confirmed um, he was going to Munster. Now, originally, it was speculated that he was going to come back to the Bulls. So he played Bulls in all the warm-up series in South Africa. And he was sort of from the Bulls originally anyway. He went over to Japan, as you mentioned. Uh, and then the thinking was that he'd come back, join up with Jake White on the side and, and, and go forward. And then sort of Munster swooped in and poached him in one sense. Um, so... The Bulls fans are quite upset because it sort of came a bit out of left field. And the reception in Munster has been quite mixed as well. Um, they sort of thought, well, why are we signing this guy? Why aren't we backing our own, our own players? You know, another South African coming over. But actually, um, if, you, if you sort of delve into it, and I was talking with a lot of Munster fans and guys who know the game uh, really well on Twitter. And actually, if you analyze sort of what their squad is and, and, and you know, where they are, it, it makes perfect sense. So for a start, they're losing CJ Stander at the end of this year. Now, he plays the blindside position for them. So they're losing 
a big ball carrying option and Jason Jenkins absolutely brings that. I mean, he's, you know, he's six foot six or six, seven, and he's 124 kg. So, you know, he's hefty. You're definitely going to get go forward from him. Um, but what he also offers is he offers that versatility. He can play second row. He can play um, blind side. So he's got that versatility element too. I mean, my thinking is the reason they've brought him in is that he's probably going to end up in the second row and they're going to move Tad Byrne, who played fantastically for Ireland um, at blind side. They're going to move him to a more permanent back row position. Um, but there's one more twist in the tail here as well, which is that um, Peter Steph de Toure, well player of the year 2019, Peter Steph de Toure, uh, needs no introduction, Peter Steph de Toure, well, now rambled on about but he was originally it was a done deal that he was to move to Munster there's been lots of speculation that he's going to be leaving the Stormers I think he probably is going to be leaving the Stormers um it was yeah almost it was almost confirmed that he was going to go to Munster before the deal fell through because the wider Irish uh, rugby union the IRFU they blocked the move um now why exactly we don't know um there's been lots of things suggested as to why they do it uh, we can't say for certainty. I think the most likely one is that they didn't like the optics of, of you know, where we're bringing in these foreign stars. But then also you kind of think, then why, why, you know, bring in Jenkins. But either way, that is the big one. We'll see how he goes. I, I think he's a fantastic player. I think we shouldn't we shouldn't forget the, the sort of human element to it or the rugby element to it. He's a really, really talented player. Um, he's, as you mentioned, you know, he's got one cap for the box already in 2018. That was when Rossi's first game, actually, against Wales. Um, but he's been good for the Bulls. He was one of the standouts, I think, for them in the um, preparation series or whatever you wanted to call it this earlier this year. No, Super Rugby Unlocked or whatever. So he was good for them. Um, so I think he'll fit in very well in Munster. Uh, and Rossi Erasmus came out this, this week as well. And he said, look, it's fantastic. He's going over. He's definitely clearly a player that Rossi still has an eye on. And he said, it's great that he's going to be in a high performance environment and he's already capped for South Africa. So he can still play for us. Yeah. He's going to be looked after well, I'm sure. And I think it's just so coincidental that Peter Steff, you know, there are talks of him now going to Toyota Verblitz where Jason is playing and currently, and who's going to be leaving. So I don't know. It could be coincidence. There might be a deal that we are not sure about, but let's let's keep an eye on that one for sure. European rugby returned this week, and again, uh, stars impressed us. Our players that we spotted uh, or sort of spotlighted the last time we spoke have impressed us yet again. You know, they've stood up to the task and they're just doing a phenomenal job. Um, so I guess let's get stuck into it, you know. So Damien Dielende, again, Stars for Munster. I mean, they didn't win the game, but, you know, he played the full 80 minutes, ran in like 61 meters, nine carries, 13 tackles, just among some of the stats. And he just had a brilliant game. You know, he looked at his very best. And now, do you think that's down to the quality setup at Munster? Is he just enjoying life there? Is Does he have a lot to, to prove? Or is he just, you know, taking care of business as usual? Well, I mean, I, I think I'll touch on one thing first. You, you listed off some really good stats there. Um, one thing which isn't obvious, as obvious in stats and doesn't come up when you just look at stats is there's one moment where he just did the most phenomenal counter-ruck turnover. Um, and he just, he is, I think, the best center. I don't know, a single, probably the best back in the world at doing this. Um, he's an unbelievable counter-rucker and he's brilliant at the breakdown. And, you know, in today's rugby where that skill is so wide, you know, needs to be so versatile between backs and forwards. Um, that's an unbelievable asset to have. Uh, and I don't think that's flagged up enough. Um, so that's the first thing. 
I'd like to say. But yeah, I, I completely agree with you. He's just been phenomenal. He unfortunately, you know, Mansa didn't win the game, but I mean, Toulouse is a very, very strong side they're playing. Uh, and the previous week, you know, in the in the European, um, sorry, in the Pro 14 final against Leinster, he had an equally impressive game. You know, he's defensively strong. He's abrasive ball carrying option. He's, his distribution is a lot better than people give him credit for. And I think we saw that, you know, a few deft little um, passes to put people into space. He created a break. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's just tearing it up. You know, he was named in the Pro 14 team of the season. Unsurprisingly, he's been phenomenal for Munster. And yeah, I think it is a little bit that that factor as well that you say, you know, he might have a point to prove because as we've discussed as well, Andre Estes and is probably the form inside center in just over the sea in the premiership. So, you know, those two very similar players are both in the form of their lives and absolutely tearing it up. And I have no doubt in my mind that they're pushing each other. Like there's no way they're not, you know, watching each other's performances. There's no way Rossi's not on the phone. Like yes, did, you know, chatting to Damien being like, yes, but you know, Andre had a good game of the weekend. Eh? And similarly vice versa. So I think it's brilliant that we have that type of competition inside center. It's such a crucial position for South Africa. A lot of, you know, a lot of South Africa's game plan relies on, on, on playing direct in that channel forwards around the corner, you know? So no, it's, he, he's been phenomenal. Damien's been absolutely incredible. Um, you know, he's probably, I think from my mind, the best inside center in world rugby um, and, and the first choice starter for South Africa, but, uh, but yeah, so glad to see him doing well. Yeah. He's a kick-ass player. Um, I, I, I don't want to be rusty Erasmus. Um, look, we, we mention it a lot. We talk a lot on Twitter and you post a lot about it. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's only a good thing to have so many options at center and we will get into some of the squads a bit later on in the episode, um, in terms of lions, you know, going over to South Africa. Uh, but yeah, Dylan Lates had another great game. Uh, apart from the knock he took on the head again, we will talk about officiating, but He's just, you know, he's been incredible for La Rochelle at the moment. Him and, you know, Raymond Rule, all of our guys in the backs are just stepping up and they're just having such a great time for these French clubs. And I'm trying to sort of sort of dissect where, you know, what is what is going on so that these guys are just having the most incredible time for their teams. Like, where do you think the moment of magic is coming from and what is setting them apart from from all the other backs? Well, I mean, it's it's a really tricky one to try and pin down. But I yeah, I I like to give you a shout out because I mean, you had a chat with uh, with Dylan. I think it was like two weeks ago, or whatever. And we and we talked about him last time we spoke. And you know, we both said this guy's underrated. He's and you know, he's a really really good player. And I think people are waking up to that. I think that he might be a guy whose name needs to be in the Springbok conversation. You know, we've got a lot of good fullbacks, but you know, he gives you that versatility, fullback wing. Um, you know, he's a great distributor. So, you know, because I think he played 10 for a while as well. So he's, he's a very, very capable, skillful player, good boot. Um, but yeah, just coming on to your point about what sort of, what, what sparks it? I, I don't know. It's really tough. I think you can speak in La Rochelle's case um, specifically. I think having Ronan O'Gara there makes a big difference. So he went to, uh, after he finished playing, whatever, he, he coached for a bit with the Crusaders. Now, there's no better team to coach with or be involved in a setup than the Crusaders. I mean, they're phenomenal. Um, and I think he came back, and when he took over at La Rochelle as coach there, he wanted to transplant some of the um, sort of coaching philosophies that they have in New Zealand. So he talks about keep ball alive rugby, trying to move away from just creating breakdowns and playing off that. So, you know, he's empowered his his side, La Rochelle at least, to play with that type of freedom and attacking spirit. And I think that suits a guy like Dylan Lades and it suits a guy like Raymond Rule. Um, 
But I mean, it, it's credit to, to him as well that Raymond Rule is playing at outside center. Now, he's always played wing and he, that's where he played for South Africa and a few caps he played. And it was always said, you know, this guy can't tackle, he can't defend. And ultimately, that's the reason he was dropped is because his defense was shoddy. You know, he was always good on attack, but he couldn't defend. So now you've put him in this defensively most difficult position on the pitch and he's getting selected there week in, week out, and he's succeeding. So you have to give credit to coaching and obviously to Raymond as well. You must have worked very, very hard. But something's working in France for our players. Something's working overseas for our players as well. I think that, um, you know, you, you see guys who, who are good in South Africa, but also because they're young and probably inexperienced, just excelling. I will come on to talk about him, but I mean, Jasper Visa is another one, you know? He's just, I mean, his his performances every week, barring obviously the, the madness where he got a red card, but I mean, these guys these guys are insane. I mean, it, it's a good good time for us two to be talking about Safas abroad because every week there's just so much to talk about. They're giving us so much content, like you're saying, content to create and so much to talk about. And I mean, I remember obviously watching uh, Jasper's try. And I mean, I think even my TV got a headache just watching it. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy is just a beast, man. Like, I mean, look, it's quite obvious that our players are going abroad. They're being exposed to ridiculous amounts of talent from other countries or the countries they're playing in. The coaching staff that they're having to work with week in, week out, the facilities they're training in. We have to be honest here, man. Like, it's, it's just the setups are just a lot better. You know, I'm not saying anything bad about South African teams and their setups because they have such a rich history and they have produced some of the most incredible rugby players on the planet. But modern times, you know, if you look at Raymond Rule, if you look at Dylan Leighton, if you look at some of the guys in France, you know, they're on social media, they're interacting with their fans, you know, they're they're loving life at these clubs. And I mean, there's obviously a factor that is helping them in their game. And I am for one, absolutely loving what's happening, you know, over in France, in America, in Japan or wherever it may be, because it's great to see man. It's great to see. Um, who else do you want to talk about this week then? Uh, um, who have we done? We've done Damien, Dylan, Kotaro Matsushima again. I mean, how about that? He scored try? the winner, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He scored the winner. What a finish. I mean, yeah. So, so good to see him doing well. I mean, if I, if I were to flag up two two guys, if I may, um, is the two hookers. Because I read an article in about two weeks ago saying, outside of, obviously, we know Bongi Benambi and we know Malcolm Marks are the, you know, the starting two and they're the first choice two hookers in South Africa. And that makes sense. They're both brilliant. But below that, you know, there's a third hooker spot in the in the squad usually. Uh, and who's that going to go to? Because obviously in the World Cup, it went to Scott Britz, but he's now retired. So... I basically said, I think two guys need to look at um, are Aka van der Marwe and uh, Joseph Dweber, who's at Bordeaux. So Dweber was great for the Cheetahs. He was sort of said to be a shoe-in for box selection. Then he made the move to Bordeaux. He struggled for game time a bit, but I think he's just as talented. And both those players this weekend, unbelievable. Aka van der Marwe scored two tries, man of the match performance for sale. Um, Joseph Dweber scored the winning try against uh, Bristol. Bristol being the top team in the premiership, no one's been able to touch them. And, you know, Bordeaux gave them a hiding. Um, so it was, it was nice. It was, it was nice to see those two guys stand up. I mean, they're both physical, um, you know, ball carrying hookers, which you, you love to see. Um, so no, I think those two, two guys are worth mentioning as well. I think they're, they're on, on a really good path and it's going to again be a very good selection headache to have for Ferrossi and Jacques. Acker is, is a beast, man. He, what, what he's doing for sale and the sort of experience 
that he's bringing to the team. I mean, we, we have to talk about some of his lineouts. You know, they're not, they haven't been, I mean, I support sale and I see it week in, week out from some of the fans. And that seems to be one of the strains on on his game at the moment is, is his lineout. Now, apart from his physicality and the great work that he is doing for sale, where do you think he can improve on, on the lineouts? Because I think from what I can see and from the stats that I'm reading and from everything else, I think that's probably the one area he needs to improve most on, especially if you want to be a springboard cooker. Sure. I mean, so that's always been the thing, isn't it? I mean, it's not dissimilar to Malcolm Marks, you know, Malcolm Marks has always, always said, you know, he's got the complete game, but I mean, his lineup training is an issue. And I think that he knows that. Um, I don't think he's the finished article in terms of how, how well he could be throwing at the lineouts. Uh, however, one thing I'll start, I'll throw you away is that from last season to this season, his lineup percentage success has gone up 10%. Um, so it's clear in, clearly an area that um, Sale and he have identified. And they've said, look, this is a work on. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that is probably still the one area of weakness in his game. But I don't think it should be overstated because he's not a million miles away from where, you know, the other sort of top international hookers are performing. And, you know, his ad value around the park is, is you know, is, is there for anyone else to see. I think it helps as well um, having Luet de Yaga at, at um, sale because obviously when you know, you know, as long as they've, they've played together and been in Springbok setups together and they'll know each other. So, I mean, Luet orchestrates that line out so well um, that I think it, it makes, you know, it makes his job as a hooker easier to find your man. Um, Cause obviously some, you know, the, the hooker always bears the burden with, Oh, if it's a lost line out, it's the hooker's fault, you know, but oftentimes it's, you know, it's the caller's fault or it's the person organizing its fault. So um, although it's a work on, I'll agree with you there. Uh, I, I think it's overstated how, how I don't think it's like a complete Achilles heel in this game and it is somewhere that he is improving. Um, so yeah, I, I think he's a, he's an exceptional player. Lewis was missed quite a bit yesterday in that sale game. I know in the end, they sort of done Scarlet a new one pretty much. But, <laughs> um, Lewis Diaga, he was definitely missed in that lineout. And I think, you know, we we mentioned it yesterday, or the news came out yesterday. Or Alex Sanderson said why Luatiaga hasn't wasn't even in the squad. Um, we now know that he he's broken his ankle. There was a meniscus tear. He's done something to his femur, and Alex Sanderson said it best. You know, Luat trains like he plays. So this is a guy that's not had the best luck with injury. He's you know, it's not even a funny matter. Like I mean. He's a big part of sale. He's a big part of the Springbok setup. And do you do you think that he's he's going to be back in time? I hope so. Hey, I, I can't. I can't. I mean, it's he's so integral to everything that South Africa does. Um, I know, for example, when he had that, you know, he's he's struggled with his shoulders more. So it's so so unfair. Now, obviously, he gets another knee injury now, and it's a freak accident of training and. You know, I don't know how long he's going to be out for, but it's about three months is what they're speculating. But, you know, it might be the Lions series gone. It would be heartbreaking, honestly. I mean, he is... I, I honestly think he's our best second row. Uh, with respect to Etzebet and Alkis Neyman and, and, you know, and Franco Mostert, I honestly think that Lourdes Diaga is probably the best second row we have in South Africa, and people don't talk about that enough. He would be an enormous loss, put it that way. Uh, what he adds off the pitch as well, apparently he's like an incredible good analyst when it comes to you know, um, forward defensive structures and lineup play and scrum play. So, you know, he's got that, you know, IQ as well, that rugby IQ. I, I, all I can say is I'm, I, I feel heartbroken for the guy and I really, really hope that he, he comes back in time. And I, 
one one positive I think is that you know you, you get some guys who need to play themselves back into form. We saw when Lurt came back, I think a few weeks ago, about a month ago, he was on a blistering top form straight off the bench after injury. And then the next game he was man of the match and the next game after that, he should have been man of the match. So I think that even if he's ready um, just before the Lions, I think Rossi needs to pick him, needs to take a chance on him because I I just know the guy will deliver. But um, but yeah, my heart goes out to him and I really, really hope he has a speedy recovery. Yeah, Lewitt, we hope you recover well and very, very fast, my man. Um, Pollard's another one. He, I mean, he hasn't played a single game all season for Montpellier. And I mean, do we think Montpellier or was this a direct instruction from Rossi to maybe just rest him and say, do you know what? Montpellier aren't really going places this season, but is he maybe just being benched to to come back for the Springbok side? I don't know. I think I think it would be surprising if uh, the French clubs w- won't be dictated to by their own union. So I don't think they'd be dictated to by Rossi. I reckon if if Pollard was fit to play, I'm I'm 100 sure they would be playing him. Um, I think it's just the fact that he's he's had that horrible knee injury. Um, his ACL, I think it was. And he's just been, he's just been out for, for ages and ages and ages. The problem is, with that type of injury, it's it's difficult to come back straight into form. I think the feeling is that he will be he will be ready in time for the Lions, which is which is really really good news. Um, but again, he's one of those players that maybe you know he, I'm sure he'll be he'll be fine and on top form as soon as he comes back. But again, it's a concern. You know, you've got a lot of guys who still need to play themselves back into form. I mean, Sio Kalisi's form has been dreadful, and that's our captain. You know, but he's been injured a long time. So, you know, he showed really good signs in the last game that he, that he played um, against, uh, against the Bulls for, for the Sharks in his debut. Uh, but, you know, he only managed, um, you know, 50 minutes and he's sort of been on and off. So it's, you know, we have some really strong and important integral players who uh, are coming back from injury. And we hope that that process goes quickly over the next few months. Yeah, man, it's it's a tough one, and good luck to Hanre as well. Hope you recover well. Um, just before we do get into some of the officiating and the Lions tour and and all that, I just wanted to sort of touch base, sort of step away from one other sort of bit of news this week that um, you might be able to shed some light on. Well, I know you have because you've been tweeting about it. Is uh, <laughs> there's the whole situation at Harlequins and and Mike Brown? To me, from from what I've read and from what I've seen, it just looks like the guy got absolutely mugged off. Yeah, um, I, yeah, that's a pretty good summary, I think. So to give context, Mike Brown, um, he's been at Harlequins basically, his, well, his entire career, eighteen years. You know, from junior structures, it's the one place he's been. It's one place he's wanted to play. You know, he's, he's lived and died for Quinns and, and he's, in, you know, he's, he's been phenomenal for them for a very, very long period of time. So effectively, as the season came in, you know, um, before the season started, his form wasn't so good. He wasn't really in the England setup anymore. And, you know, he, he's 36 years old, so he's not, you know, he's not in the long term plans going forward. You know, he's very much old guard. And uh, Paul Gussard, who was the um head coach or director of rugby. Yeah, I think it was director of rugby at the time at Harlequins at the start of the season. He basically made a decision that Mike Brown was no longer going to be part of Quinn's setup going forward and said to him, look, you know, at the end of the season, your contract's up. And that's fine. You know, coaches have a prerogative to do that. It, sport is, is tough uh, and it's unforgiving and you need to make those calls sometimes. The controversy comes in the way that it was done. So, the first element of it was that it wasn't 
initiated by the coaches. It wasn't an open conversation with Mike Brown. It was Mike Brown having to go, having to basically pester them being like, what's going on? You, you know, my contract's up for renewal, like, you know, and just getting no feedback. So there was a breakdown in communication already, um, which is just not a good way of, of handling your players and managing your, your players, your talent, or people in general, you know, in any line of work. Um, and then eventually when the call was made, it was, uh, and Mike Brown came and he, he, did an, he did an interview about this and, and he said, effectively, it was about a four minute conversation. Now called me into the office and said, yeah, you're done here. I mean, for a guy who's given his entire life, his entire career to one club and desperately wanted to finish his career at that club, not only is it brutal telling him, okay, we don't have a place for you. Um, it's then e even worse or far worse actually to, to the way they did it, where effectively it was just like an assassination, you know, four minutes. It's, it's just shameful. You don't treat people like that. It's just, there's no respect. It's not a way. Uh, it's just not a way you treat people in any line of work. Um, and I mean, the chickens have come home to roost slightly because Gustav would, you know, he didn't, he didn't last very long afterwards at Quinn's and he, he got sacked effect effectively. And, for poor performances and the side has looked a lot happier and a lot better as a place since he's left. Um, but unfortunately Mike Brown is, you know, has been the, the collateral damage on that front. And what makes it even more sad is the fact that it's, you know, his, Mike Brown's form this season has been, you know, has been astronomical. He's been incredible for Quinns at, at 15. You know, people are saying he's an outside bet to go to the lions. He's been that good. People are saying he should definitely be looked at in the England setup again. I mean, so it's 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 really really bad and it just shows how, how awful it is when communications break down and when you're just not treating players with respect and integrity as a, as a management staff um i mean all the most successful clubs in the world um are successful because they cultivate a environment and a culture where players feel respected and supported and feel that they are able to give their all for a jersey what player wants to come to quinn's if that's the setup that's going on what player wants to perform at quinn's when that's the type of you know, shit that your management pulls on you. Mm. So better that Gustav's gone. Quinn's look a happier place. I feel for Mike Brown. He's off to Newcastle. I'm sure he'll, he'll do very well there, but, um, but it's just unfortunate really. Yeah. It sucks. Sucks to be Harlequins and Hey, Newcastle are getting an absolute player and a half on there. I mean, look what Newcastle are currently doing and what they're building on the, at the moment. I think he's going to fit into that setup. Absolutely perfect. And good luck to Mike Brown. I think, He's a phenomenal player, one of my favorite England players. You know, he's not always been the most likable player. But then again, most players are liked and they're hated. And, you know, it's it's any, it's everybody's own opinion. But I do think it's a big loss for Quinns. I mean, obviously, we're going to be a bit biased and say, look, Tyrone Green could be stepping into that 15 jersey. He did a really good job yesterday. Um, yeah, absolutely. They didn't win the game against uh, Ulster. Yeah. But... He did a great job. You know, Brett Heron's another guy who might be an option. I don't know if he's going to be a permanent 15 for Quinns, you know, given the fact that Tyrone Green is a massive option for them now. And we, we, we touched base on this earlier about the versatility of our backs and our players. And I think that's probably what makes South African rugby so good and so special is the fact that we've got players from 1 to 15 who can pretty much, okay, bar the hookers, I guess, who can... <laughs> Well, you say that, you say that, but Kyle Cooper, who is always a hooker at the Sharks, he's not playing Lucid for um, for Newcastle. So even the front row, we've got players who are playing hooker who've moved to who've moved moved in the front row. So yeah, no, our players are exceptionally versatile, and that could be you know um, down to a, a whole cluster of things. But I mean, it's great to see. Uh, 
so let's talk. Let's, I mean, let's move on to officiating. And again, this weekend, I'm I'm going to throw a couple out there. You, you know, add some more if you like. I mean, we we spoke a little bit quickly about it in in La Rochelle's game where where Dylan was hit, but fair enough. It was it was a very good decision. Um, it sucks, obviously, that there was was nothing else added to the infringement, but. You know, Dylan sort of does duck down into the tackle, um, was hit. Contact was made with the head, of course. Um, but he was absolutely fine. In the laws of the game, you know, it's very controversial, that call. But I think they made a pretty good uh, call there. I mean, he didn't even want to go off. He was fine. He just sort of looked at the coaching staff and said, why, why, why am I going off? But anyway, you know, those are, those are the rules. Yeah. You have think, to have an HIA. Um, if I jump in on that one quickly. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think that one is a good example of the coaches and the management, not coaches, sorry, the refereeing team working through the procedures and getting the call right, okay? So exactly as you say, you know, head contact was made direct with force under normal circumstances. That's a red card. But they explained it really well. They walked it through. Yes, he was definitely dropping. He was dropping quite a lot, actually. And the guy tackled very low. So there's absolutely mitigating factors there. Um, so, yes, they, they reached the, the right they applied the framework correctly and they reached the right conclusion. Um, and if there was consistency, you know, that would help. It's just that there is such a variety of inconsistency and you get cards where people are dipping, but then it's a red card. And for example, we'll go back to the Bundayaki one in the six nations where Billy Vinipola was definitely dipping. Mm. So that one is, you know, not enough mitigation or there is enough mitigation there. And so there's that subjectivity, which creates inconsistency. And, and that's um, in that gray areas where a lot of complaints and issues are had by fans. Uh, in terms of the HIA, I'm glad that they did take him off and just make sure that he's okay. I mean, no player wants to go off. We all know that, you know, anybody who's played the game, you want to stay on the pitch, but uh, it is probably better and it is safer for everyone involved if they, if they do get those HIAs. So that's a good, good thing, I think. So, but yeah, I think in that case, to come back to it, I think they actually got that one exactly right. They worked through the framework, they applied it correctly and made what I thought was the correct decision. One that they didn't even bother looking at or for some reason weren't even fussed about was Jake Ball with his direct contact to Fuff the cleric's head. I mean, the poor guy just sort of bent, you know, <laughs> like a nail clipper. I mean, his leg went one way. God forbid his hair. I mean, poor Fuff. <laughs> you know, that's probably what saved him, to be honest. But um, what was Jake Ball thinking? And I mean, how, how the fuck did he get away with that? Yeah, I mean, again, this is the type of stuff that you're like, how, how in God's name is this allowed? You know, how's, how, how's that not? I mean, okay, so let's walk through the incident, try and rationalize this. So it's a, it's a rucks over, dead, done. You know, you've got Jake Ball, who's in the sort of guard position. He wants, Fuff's about to box kicks. He wants to put pressure on the kick. Um, fine, that happens all the time. So he's in that position, rucks over. Then he decides, oh, no, the ball's out. I'm going to go and tackle Fuff de Klaff now. No. Okay. The ball wasn't out. For, you know, we'll come on to it. The ball wasn't out. The ball was very much still in the ruck. Fuff has his hands on it. Having the hands on the ball doesn't make it out. You have to pick it up as a scrum off. Then the ball's out. But either way, so Jake Ball comes and he decides, right, I'm not going to enter the ruck from the side. I'm not going to enter from the back foot. I'm going to go straight and tackle the nine because the ball's out. But in tackling him, he then dives with his shoulder straight into the guy's head and he folds him like an origami swan. You know, Jake Ball's a big guy. And Fuff the Clack, as we know, is not a big guy. Big heart, not a big oak. 
so yeah, he, he basically completely blindsides this guy. He stood still. He's not braced or anything in contact. He's not even in contact. He's just got his hands on the ball. And this oak thunders down, dives straight into him, shoulder to his head. It's one of the worst things I've seen, genuinely, in a few weeks. It's the most clear-cut red card I've seen possibly in the last three months. Uh, all this debating. This is probably a definite, definite red card, a million percent. And then the officials look at it and they go, no, the ball was out. Okay, well, for a start, the ball wasn't out. But, you know, that point is debatable. But even if the ball is out, how can you let someone get away with that type of thing? You can yeah. see afterwards, obviously, he's quite pissed off with this. And you can see Jean-Luc Dupré as well, everyone asking the linesman. But the French officials, I mean, the TMO watches this thing back that any, any guy who's watched rugby for a day can tell you that's a red card any day of the week and twice on a Sunday. It, it's, it was ludicrous. It's, it's shameful. Um, and I know I scuppered myself a little bit last time I said with Ellis Genjin's elbows, I'd be amazed if it wasn't cited. In this one, I'd be even more amazed if this wasn't cited. And he wasn't banned for six weeks, five, four weeks. I don't know. I mean, this was a, this was it was a it was a complete cheap shot. It was um, yeah, it was an awful, awful tackle. It's not a tackle. I don't want to call it a tackle. It wasn't a tackle. No. So no, but I'm I'm glad Fuff wasn't hurt. As you say, his hair saved him. Uh, as you can see, I'm growing my hair out as well. So maybe I can also be a bit more resistant. Um, but no, I mean, I'm glad he was okay. I'm glad, I mean, he could have injured his head. His ACL could snap if you're folding someone like that. Poor, poor rugby. Awful, awful thing to see. Um, I hope Jake Ball gets a big old suspension. It's not the first time. Um, it was clearly the act of a guy who was uh, very upset because Fuff was, you know, obviously kicked him out of the World Cup before and laughed in his face. And now Sale were pumping his scarlet side. So not looking good for him, eh? No, it's not. And I, I hope, you know the correct decision is made and he does learn from this because i mean it, it was ridiculous you know fuff sets himself up nicely he's got that beautiful fish hook leg set to go hands on the ball and, and he's just stood there there was no movement i mean there was no indication that the ball was out i the ball was not out i mean no he, it wasn't out let's yeah, yeah let's be clear the ball, that ball wasn't out it wasn't out because he hadn't picked it up it wasn't out because it was also still in the ruck within between john luke's feet or whoever it was who was who was you know sealing that ball wasn't out. Uh, how the how the referee could call that ball out, um, you know, but French referees do what French referees want to do. Mm. And French officials are, wow, uh, are a law unto themselves sometimes. Eh? So, look, it's, it is what it is. Um, but, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I hope he gets I hope he gets a proper sanction for it because it was, it was yeah, one of the worst things I've seen on a rugby pitch for a while. Yeah, very bizarre. I mean, so let's quickly, Ryan, I mean, that being said, that sets up the quarterfinals nicely, which start on Saturday, the 10th of April, the Heineken, Heineken Cup quarterfinals. La Rochelle take on sale. I mean, that's, look, people are not giving sale a chance at all here. And I think they might be highly surprised when, you know, La Rochelle, La Rochelle is not a, an easy place to go and win. Um, we've got our favorite Safis playing there too. So that should be a great matchup. That's going to be on Saturday the 10th, La Rochelle against Sale Sharks. One of the biggest games that I'm looking forward to with not very many South Africans is actually Exeter Chiefs taking on Leinster. They are taking, uh, they are in the second game of, of that Saturday. Um, Bordeaux take on Racing. That'll be a good game. You know, an all French affair. And then another French uh, sort of battle with uh, Clermont taking on Toulouse. So it's safe to say there's going to be a French finalist. I mean, the probability of there not being one, it's, <laughs> it's impossible. Um, but Sale have a really good chance. Sale, Sale could do it, eh? Um, or Leinster as well. Leinster have looked very good. So, you know, but yeah, I, I mean... Um, 
Exeter think, are current champions. Yeah, uh, that's true. Sorry, not to, not. I think they've. I think Exeter have taken a slight step back this year. Um, I don't think they're as dominant as they were last year, but I think they'll still be an absolute handful. Uh, and you know, you know, who's who's to say? I think the the interesting one about the La Rochelle Sale game is we were talking earlier about Ronan Agara and this, you know, keep baller lifestyle play. Um, <laughs> it's very, very Kiwi. But as we all know, the way to beat the Kiwi sides is effectively you need to get grit in those gears. Like there, I described it once as like Kiwi sides and La Rochelle, I'm calling a Kiwi side for the purposes of this because they play that same mentality. Their philosophy is like a fine-tuned watch, you know. Everything is beautifully in sync. All the parts work together you know, everything gels and you have this visit, you know, visually very attractive style of rugby, quick rugby, you know, move the ball around, tire people out and, and win that way. And that's fine. And that's great if you can do it. But obviously on the counter side, the way to beat that is to basically get grit in the gears of that fine tuned watch. You know, you've got to make the breakdowns hell. You've got to make every collision hell for them. And you need to attack their set piece. You basically need to play the type of rugby South Africa plays where you don't, you constrict them. You don't allow them space. You don't allow them time to, to execute that strategy because otherwise they'll rip you apart. So it's going to be the battle of the styles because Sale with the forward pack that they have um, and, and just the team they have, I mean, they are geared exactly to beating that style of play, which is why we saw them beat Bristol earlier in the season because Bristol play that same type of attacking free-flowing rugby. But when you come up against a forward pack that gives you zero purchase, that takes you on every collision, I mean, Sale love to tackle. I'm sure they'll bring back Jono Ross for that. Um, you know, with Curry there, both Dupria boys, those guys, they're not scared of tackling. They're not scared of hard yards. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be really interesting to see which style comes out on top. Um, with home advantage, I, I'd say probably La Rochelle, but, uh, but it'd be good. Sale have a real chance. I don't think people should write them off. No, and I'd love to see the you know that there's a potential opportunity that Rowan Janssen van Rensburg could be going up against Raymond Rule. So that would be fun. Really, could be pretty good. Um, right, let's uh, finish off the episode with um, I think you've got something or an update or you wanted to chat about the uh, Rainbow Cup. I hope I hope to God they don't call it that. Does that no, mean no? Is I that mean it? that one. That one's set, unfortunately. The Rainbow Cup, as stupid a name as it is, um, it is now. It's set in stone. Mm. But I think. As stupid a name as it is, it's not as stupid as the full name, which is, uh, I think it's the the Guinness Pro 14, even though they're not 14 teams in it, uh, Rainbow Cup. So it's like one long protracted thing. It's nonsense. But um, but I do know that they're looking to change the name of the pro rugby competition because the numbers aren't working. There's too many sides going in and out. And so I think they're looking to change that for next season as well, hopefully. Um, but yeah, just a quick one on the Rainbow Cup. Um Obviously, South Africa's teams coming up to Europe, the big four teams coming up to Europe for the first time. Um, they're going to be based, I think last I heard, they're going to be based in Bristol. So they're going to be based up here. They're not going to have any home games against um, European opposition. But I think it's going to be, it's going to be a real cracker. I, I really do. I think that um, I think they'll have a point to prove. Uh, I think on the evidence of some of the teams that are playing this weekend, I think they might do quite well. I think those Welsh sides are in for a hiding. I always find it entertaining. Sorry to be a bit controversial now. When we talk about South Africa joining Europe and joining the Pro mm -hmm. 16 or Pro 14 or whatever, it's always the Irish fans and Irish you know pundits who are like, "Yeah, come on, bring it on, it'd be great." You know, uh, it's always the Welsh fans who just moan. They moan and they moan and they moan about it. And, oh, we don't want this. We want to play England. It's like, Oaks, you 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 all four of your sides lost this weekend, and you know it was capped off by Scarlets getting smashed by. They put 57 points past Scarlets Sale. It's like guys. 
you know, the English sides don't want to play you because let's be honest, you guys aren't good enough at the moment. So all you'd be doing if you leave the Pro 14 and by some miracle England took you in is you'd stop losing to the Irish sides and start losing to the English ones. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just the most irritating thing. I mean, they don't stop going on about, oh, we don't want South Africa in a competition. Oh, we want a competition with, with the English sides. Like, England don't want that. The Premiership's a brilliant competition. They have no reason to, to saturate their schedule anymore for your benefit. So just, can they just be quiet and get on with it, you know? I mean, just, just focus on improving your own rugby for a second there, hey? Yes, it's, it's I mean, the Welsh, the Welsh are just passionate about the game, aren't they? I mean, the, yeah, fan, the fans, I mean, have you been to a game in Wales? They're so... I have. I've been. It's, it, they're, they're unbelievable. And let, me, let me also sort of qualify this by saying Welsh are, the, are some of the best, most passionate, most brilliant rugby fans ever. But honestly, guys, this is just stop moaning about not playing against English sides more often. Start, stop moaning about how, how bad the Pro 16 is. You know, you're there. So make the best of it. It's just so tiresome, wearying, seeing it every single time. But no, I'm, I'm being maybe a bit too harsh on them. A, a, lot of them are, a, lot of them, a lot of them are looking forward to it as well, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, we will obviously break down the Pro 16 or the Rainbow Cup Pro 16 or the 16 Rainbows or whatever they want to call it. But <laughs> we will get into that, obviously, because it does start very soon. Um, but let's finish off with the tournament that everybody is so excited about. And again, we will get into that a lot closer to the time. Uh, but that's the Lions Tour. Uh, again, I have not seen anything other than the, what we know be already, um, other than, you know, May 6th, which is now a month away tomorrow. They're going to be announcing the Lions squad. Uh, do you think they're going to be announcing the Springbok squad the same day? Probably, maybe there or thereabout. No, I think that they'll. I think there's the Springbok squad will be announced um, probably at the conclusion of the um, of the Rainbow Rainbow Cup or sort of around uh, around that time. So I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Springbok squad was was a fair bit later than that. Um, because remember as well that um, the Lions need to be announced because they have all those warm up games before. Um, you know, before the Lions series actually starts with South Africa at the moment, they've got some talks of warm-up games being scheduled against the USA, but nothing confirmed at the moment. So I, I think the Springbok squad will possibly be announced a bit later. Mm. But on that Lions squad announcement, um, what we also know about is that Warren Gatlin's looking to bring 36 players. Now, a squad of 36 for three tests and warm-up games is not, not a big one. You know, I think he brought 38 to New Zealand or maybe 36 to New Zealand, but uh, it's certainly far fewer players than we've seen in the past. Um, now, I don't know what the logic is behind that or what the thinking is behind that on his part. I mean, he's a very savvy operator and he obviously knows a lot more than I do, so I won't, I won't tell him he's wrong. But what I will say is that it seems an interesting one to bring a smaller squad size going into what will be the most physical series in the history of rugby, and I've no doubt of that. You know, Playing at home now as well for South Africa. Hmm. So... We'll see. Those 36 Oaks better better be up for the up for the fight because I tell you, if they're playing the warm-up games as well, you know, the Bulls, um, I think they're playing the Bulls, Sharks, Stormers, and uh, Lions. And those guys will come at them, eh? They're gonna they're gonna go hammer and tongs, you know. So I can just imagine Jake White the week before the first test, you know, picking a team of all the Bulls players who aren't already in, in the Springbok squad and just the most physical team you can put out there and just going at them. Because we forget Jake White did the same thing with the Brumbies in 2013 and he beat the Lions. So, um, yeah, anyway, it, it should be an absolute cracker, but I'm sure we'll, we'll break it down further in the future. And Gatlin's going to have a, a bit of a back row headache as well, isn't he? I mean, tell us a bit more about 
that, please. So we talked last time about how the back row of the Lions may shape up. I think Talupe Falatau is, is pretty much your dead certain number eight at this point. Um, if it weren't for Billy Vinopola's form, you would include him in the conversation. But I think Talupe Falatau is now is now sort of the, the, the starter at eight. Uh, at open side, it was sort of seen as a bit of a toss-up between Hamish Watson and um, and Tom Curry. But I think over the last few rounds of the Six Nations and this weekend as well, even though Edinburgh didn't win and didn't play very well, um, you know, Hamish Watson has just been so fantastic. I mean, one Six Nations player of the tournament as well and very richly deserved. So I think he has the the inside line there at, um, at open side. So I think that they'll go um, seven, which is obviously um, open. Yeah, sorry, seven, which is obviously open side in the Northern Hemisphere, which is confusing. But so seven, they'll have, um, yeah, they'll have Hamish Watson. Eight, they'll have Tolupe Falatau. And then for my mind, I think they'll go for Tad Byrne at six. Mm-hmm. They'll go for a really big ball-carrying lock slash flanker um, in, the, in, the, in the blindside position. Um, that would be for my thinking, but, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, CJ Standers in the mix because uh, he covers eight in blindside as well. Um, your curry will be in the mix for, for open side still. Um, so yeah, they've, they've got a lot of options. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one because I mean, I mean, but to be fair, to be honest, again, this is just our opinion, but whoever they put there, it shouldn't, shouldn't be too much of a problem because again, mm-hmm. look at some of the guys who don't even have Springbok jerseys yet who are making such a statement. So it's, it's definitely going to be one of the most anticipated Lions tours considering everything that has happened with COVID and these sort of, the new way that it's going to be sort of hosted in, but I'm sure, you know, we mentioned this last time that however it goes, you know, it's, it's, it's probably going to be one of the best ones. And um, it's a big, well, bold statement to make, but I'm hoping that players who deserve to wear the Jersey for their country, or in this case, the lions or a Springbok Jersey, but they, I'm excited. I don't, I don't look excited. I don't, I don't seem excited, but I am because <laughs> You know, but we will we will get into that uh, when when the time comes. I think we can sort of touch base around the time of the announcements. But yeah, I mean, safe to say it's been a really good week again. It's been an incredible weekend. Our guys keep performing week in week out. It's great for us. You know, it's great for Russi um, because it gives him a lot more options. Um, but yeah, man, it's it's been a good weekend of rugby. Japan was very quiet again you know um i think just the one try but yeah what a good weekend of rugby and it's good to have you back on the show man yeah no brilliant 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 to to jump on again uh, i agree with you it's been a fantastic week and particularly i mean european rugby is european weekend it's always a lot of fun our boys stood up really well um so many of them putting up their hands was for for higher honors and and long way to make continue as you say i think Whoever we put in that in that um, in that front eight to to front the Lions is going to do a job on them. I, I I genuinely believe that. There's no demons in that front five for me either. I think our boys are our boys are going to take them. Um, and I'm opening myself up here a little bit, but uh, I think our I think our guys. Uh, there's no there's no pack on the planet that can compete. No no country in the world produces as many uh, consistently impressive forward players as as we do. No no country even comes close. Um, so yeah, we we have strength and depth there we'll be fine. I reckon we're going to have them. <laughs> awesome. Oh, well, I mean, European rugby isn't finished. It's back next weekend. So we can touch base 
on that again. I'm hoping there's some more controversial stories that happen because obviously it gives us something to talk about. I hope there's loads more tries. I hope that it's just an incredible, you know, we're getting closer and closer to lockdown being lifted here in the UK. And, you know, one of these days will be at a match, you know, sort of experiencing all of this uh, in person. So yeah, another great week, another great episode, and I'll catch you in the next one. Brilliant. Cheers, eh? All right, cheers.